am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, everyone. Happy Wednesday. We are back with another Q&A episode, but first, today's Rose, Bud, and Thorn. The rose for today is that, and honestly, this feels a little bit rude to say considering what's kind of happening over on the West Coast. I'm sorry if you are in Texas and you are listening to this, but in North Carolina, we are looking at 60-degree weather this week, and while I am sad about what's happening other places, I am very excited <laughs> over here. It's office doors open kind of week for me, so um, whew. I needed it. <laughs> I'm happy about it, but not trying to not trying to rub it in. The thorn today switching uh, order here. The thorn for today is that I have had a headache every day for the last five days, and that's insane. Um, I don't know what it could be. Like I am doing yoga every day. I'm drinking plenty of water. I am like. I'm just going to assume it's stress, but like, come on, you know, like, woof, need a break. So a little bit tired of having a headache, I'm going to be honest. And my bud is, it's podcast interview week, which is so much fun. I just got off a podcast interview that was so, so good. And I've got another one coming up today and a bunch more this week. It's just kind of like this awesome time where I get to listen to so many amazing people and have so many good conversations. And then I know that you guys are going to get to listen to them. So fun. So definitely looking forward to all of the awesome interviews to come throughout the week. Now, today we are doing a text question, so we're going to answer lots of them. I'm going to read through the questions that were texted in, and so we'll get to go over more than usual. Let's dive in. So question number one. Hi, this is Riley. I have an Enneagram question. Sorry if you've covered this before and I missed it, but what would you tell someone that accuses the Enneagram of being like astrology in quotations or just a completely fake thing? So first, um, I would respond honestly like, okay, well, it sounds like you're not interested and I would move on. Um, You know, I think sometimes we feel like we need to convince people to buy into it, but honestly, like if they're not ready, they're not ready. it we know like it's this beautiful amazing thing that's going to help them to grow and to change and get better um but we can't really force them to see it like that no amount of me trying to convince someone to be into the enneagram is going to convince them they're going to be ready when they're ready um Another thing is that maybe they've been mistyped. Sometimes when we don't buy into the Enneagram or we don't get it, it's because we read our type structure and we didn't feel anything. It didn't feel eye-opening. So maybe they're mistyped and they just need some support finding the correct type. Um, And then also it's, you know, we can say it's easy to say like it was developed by psychologists and has been refined by psychologists over the years. So it's not like someone one day was just like, made it up. You know, it's it's had a lot of different pieces put into it from lots of different people and it's been refined and researched over time. And so that just wouldn't be an accurate thing to say. However, let them have their process with it. It doesn't really sound like they're interested and we can't force people into being interested. And 
I, I'm, you know, I'm, we've talked about this before. I'm being on the circle of control. I can't control other people and how they respond to things, but I can explore my participation in it. So I find it more fascinating to explore the part of me that wants them to believe in it. Um, you know, what do I get out of it? Why do I want them, want them to buy into it? And what is, what is the relationship like? You know, do, am I trying to control their growth? Um, you know, is there, are there things that they do that I don't like that I wish they would learn through the Enneagram. Maybe there are just boundaries that need to be set instead. Or is it because I don't like being treated like I am foolish um, or I feel like I want to prove to them that like what I believe in is real for some reason because I want to look informed. I personally don't let people treat me like I'm foolish anymore. And so that would be like information that I don't like the way they're talking to me or the way that they're communicating with me about this. Or maybe it's just like a validation that I'm interesting or worthwhile. Um, and then maybe the the better response for me would be to hang out with myself and people who affirm that so that I can really just be more self-supportive so I don't seek support from this other person. I, I think the, the deal for me is like, why am I spending time with someone who instead of showing interest in the things that interest me, decides that they want to argue with me and prove to me that what I'm interested in isn't real. Um, I'm not saying to like not be in relationship to this person, but I am saying like challenge the part of them that instead of meeting you with curiosity is wanting to prove to you that that the thing that you're fascinated with or interested in or that is impacting your life in a positive way is somehow frivolous or wrong. I think there's, um, it's worthwhile to push back on that. Um, it more so than to convince them to buy into the Enneagram because that's not the point, right? Like we, we don't really need everyone in our lives to be into the Enneagram. We just need them to see us and value what it has done for us. Or if it is like, well, I think if they learn their Enneagram type, they'll stop doing X, Y, and Z. Well, that's a passive approach to, asking for what we want or we need. And instead, maybe we just need to be direct and ask for what we want or what we need. So yeah, I can't control their, we can't control their response. Likely they're not going to buy into the Enneagram, but we can communicate how it makes us feel, what we hope that they will, they that they would show interest just because it is something that's interesting to us. And if they want to have a relationship to us, it feels like love to do that. And, um, or maybe we have some boundaries that need to be set. Next question. I'd like to know, once you are confident in your number, how do you translate that into a deeper practice? What are the next steps? So first of all, I'll say, I think every Enneagram type is a little bit different, but I will give you kind of like my next phase of action, in my opinion. Um, Obviously, everyone's journey is different, but this is kind of like the first three steps that I think every type can do universally. Um, So the first one is recognize what this persona, like the Enneagram type that we've adopted, is offering you. You know, what has it offered you in the past and what does it continue to offer you? Meaning, you know, as a type seven, holding on to positivity means I never have to feel my negative emotions. As a child, that meant I didn't have to deal with the real chaos in my life. And as an adult, it means that I can you know, neglect things that make me feel bad and focus on things that make me feel good. And 
you know, once we can recognize that, we can start to see the role that it's played in our life and remove ourselves from it a little bit, you know, choose different things from here on out. The second thing is a meditation practice. You know, the more you can develop a meditation practice, especially if you can do a little bit every day. Um, you know, I know some Enneagram teachers who recommend 20 minutes a day, which I I can't even do on a regular basis myself, or I don't choose to do on a regular basis myself. But even if you do five or 10 minutes, it, it allows you to create a little bit of space so that you can become an observer. Um, so you can start to notice when the type pattern takes over, when you're operating out of your truth, and when you're operating out of that character that you've, you've adopted or put on to keep you safe or protect you. Then number three is really working on balancing out your centers. So if you're a head type, working on balancing out, you know, you're getting more into your heart and into your body. If you're a gut type, getting more into your heart and into your head. And if you're a heart type, getting more into your head and into your body, um, you know, really trying to balance those centers out and honor those centers. You know, we all have a complicated relationship, even to the center that we're in. So, you know, an eight has, you know, angers outright. There's a little bit of work to do around anger there. Our nines, they tend to um, ignore their anger and it comes out as passive aggression. Passive aggression. Um, our ones, they shove their anger down and it can come out as irritability. And so, you know, navigating um, our relationship to our center as well and also balancing out the three centers. So I will say those are to me the first three steps. Recognize what it's offering you and what it has offered you in the past, and then meditate daily if you can, and then work on balancing those centers out, getting more into different parts of your um, of your being. So I think that's enough to get started. Like in my personal opinion, start there, and then you can get into more type-specific work from that point. And if you haven't yet, my book, The Honest Enneagram, does take you into action. It walks you through kind of the method that I recommend for um, your type specifically, each each individual step for taking this from a, a thing we know into a thing that we embody and a thing that we do. Um, hi, Nine Wing One. Grief anniversary has shown me deep into my six. Um, trust no one, they will all hurt me, in quotations. Crawling out slowly into my sleeping, eating, anything for peace, avoidance of nine. Trying to envision productivity of my three has caught me up in the I can't stomach the superficial of it all. And then back to six. So the question, is it healthy to let all of this cycle through or should I be more in the driver's seat? Is observation the only solution? the actual internal battle. I am really sick of however you grieve is the right way. I need rules to fix it. And I, that is impossible. I know actual, actual issue. Feelings are hard. Ooh, you got it. I think you nailed it there at the end. Feelings are freaking hard. They're hard and it's uncomfortable and it can make us feel like we want some sense of control over it. But grief really isn't ours to control. Um, I can give you a few practical practical tips for living with grief as I have you things I've used for myself um, in the process is another type that really just does not want to deal with my feelings. Um, and I will say, honor your feelings, allow them to burn out instead of trying to ignore them or shove them down. If you let them burn until they're done, they will go faster. 
They will move through you much more quickly and they will not have to have, they will not be shouting from the rooftops that they be heard because they're getting acknowledged. Second, if you can write honestly about your feelings and your fears, allow it to move through you. I put a pen to paper and I just free write until, you know, I've got it all out of me. Um, I might write an angry letter to whatever it is that's upsetting me. I might write, um, you know, a sad letter or a poem or whatever comes out just to get it out of my head and onto paper. Um, Lower your expectations for yourself right now. You might need to up your meditation and self-care and treat yourself as you would your own child or a dear friend. You know, think about nurturing over fixing. This isn't a problem to be solved. This is a person who needs love and that person is you. And, you know, I think sometimes we we try to perform at the same level at, that we used to perform at or do the same things that we used to do. But when grief hits, you know, that's not the time. It Sometimes it's just the time to soften, lower our expectations, and listen to what we have to say and what we're, what we're asking for. Um, I think all of this kind of complication that comes up where it's like, okay, I'm moving to my six and then I'm moving into my three and then I'm operating like a nine. I think at this point, it's it's just not time for that. Just pay attention to what's your body telling you. What's your heart telling you? What do you want right now? Can you have it? Um, what would make you feel loved in this moment? Can you give that to yourself? And then on just a practical level, because I know that our society does not handle grief well and life does move on and we do have to keep showing up in society, um, even when it hurts, um, is I think simply the win the day list, just three things that have to happen that day or just one thing that has to happen that day to have made that day a success. Do those things first thing in the morning if you can and then let yourself be. You know, give yourself a break for the rest of the day if you can, if that's an option for you. Next question is, I am a six and my mother-in-law is an eight. How can I best show love to her? That is the kindest question. Um, I'm going to give you like five quick straightforward answers. First, don't worry about people pleasing her, right? Give it to her straight, be upfront because eights are are going to trust you more if you're direct. Um be there when she's difficult. You know, if she's if she's kind of pushing back or being hard to be around, there's a hurt there and if if you can for if with your within your realm of what's mentally healthy and safe for you, be there and not back down and just see her and love her through that. That's a really big deal. That's deep stuff. Um, and again, like power up instead of backing down. Our eights are looking for evidence that they have to be strong. And when they power up and you back down, it shows them that they were right that powering up, like they do have to be the strong one. But if you power up with them, if you meet them with strength, then they'll feel safe to not be the strong one. Number four, look for the good in her because y'all, it is hard to be a female eight in our society. It is really hard and she has likely been through a lot. Um, So really focus on the good that you see. Um, Point it out to her. Make sure she sees you see her be good. And, um, and that you enjoy being around her, you know, make, make that, make a point to say the things you enjoy about them. Um, and then finally, 
laugh at her bluntness, both personally, like internally and externally. Like, don't take it to heart. Um, the really cool thing about our eights is that they don't hold grudges t- typically. Like, they just need to say what they need to say. And if you receive it and you either, you know, say what you need to say back or you have the confrontation, they're moving on. Like, they're not kind of ruminating on it and stirring on it. Um, you know where you stand with them. And that is something to be respected in a lot of ways. Like, and I personally find it very relaxing to not have to play guessing games. Next question is, which two numbers do you think complement each other the best? Is there a best complement for each number? So my philosophy on this is that I think any number can work with any other number if both parties are willing to show up and do the work. Um, there are common pairings. Like I personally see a lot of twos and fives together and a lot of threes and nines together, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're better compliments. It's just that it's maybe a bit of a natural attraction. That's a phenomenon or even just kind of a phenomenon that I've witnessed personally. But no, I think you can be with any number and any number can be with you if you're both willing to show up and do and do it. Um, next question is there a question for Enneagram and Coffee? Hello. Um, any tips for a five who is working from home full time and has a two year old? My husband works full time from home too. There are no breaks. Oof. After bedtime, I am wiped out, of course, and can't do any self care aside from watching TV, and that burns, bums me out. I feel that. Um, you're probably going to need to get out of your house, even just for a drive, probably daily. Um, you may need to request closed door time. You know, can I have an hour in this room by myself alone and you are the go-to parent and you leave me alone for a bit? Um, Maybe you go for walks outside alone. This is double duty for you five um, because our fives need to get into their body more. And so going for a walk is already really beneficial for you just for embodiment, but also, you know, getting some time in for yourself. Another thing, and I have done this, is just ask for time at home alone once a week. You can give this as an exchange to your partner as well. So maybe say like, hey, on Saturday, can you take the kiddo out um, for a drive and do something for an hour and I can just be home or, you know, however many hours you can feasibly give one another. Um, And then I'll do the same for you on Sunday. You know, give that to each other. And I think it's important to know that your need for alone time isn't likely to go away. And honestly, all of us are in need of it right now. Anyone who is home with kids and a partner 24-7 is in need of that time. So I can imagine the strain on you specifically as a five is even more than the rest of us. So find the balance needed with your partner to get both of your needs met in that way. Communicate and make a plan to strategically implement alone time for both of you every single day. Um, Other things to consider is, could you wake up before everyone else for a moment of silence? giving your energy to yourself first? Now, I'm not one of those people who thinks everyone should be a morning person and that like, morning time is like golden time and, you know, night owls are doing it wrong. Not at all. I think we should listen to your rhythms, trust yourself on this. Like, you know, when you need to be like who you are, but I just kind of wonder if you're giving away your best self-care energy to other people, because here's the thing you have to show up for others, right? Like you're not going to let your kids starve or you're not going to drop the ball at work, but it's really easy to sacrifice your own needs if it gets pushed to the end of the day. Like, and it sounds like you're getting the scraps right now. Um, So 
maybe there's a little bit of switching that timing so that you're getting time for yourself in the morning and then everything else is going to get done anyway. Like you're going to do the same thing anyway, but at least you get to start the day with a little bit of silence, a little bit of self-care. Okay, our final question for today. I'm a two currently struggling through reconnecting with myself and speaking up for what I want instead of focusing on what I can do to meet others' wants or needs at the expense of my happiness. My question is how to deal with the guilt that comes from taking care of yourself and putting yourself first. I feel selfish for going after my happiness when it comes at the expense of hurting other people. Oof. So, how do you how would you doing what's best for you hurt someone else? I think that's the first question is who is it hurting really? Um if they're offended, why? Um like what would be the problem here? If they're over sacrificing so it's kind of taking from them, right? If you are asking for what you need and then that overtakes from them, the truth is like they're in charge of their own boundaries. So they can always communicate their wants and needs. Like there's it's not your job to guess what their boundaries are. And and the truth is I would guess that maybe you're projecting that onto them. Like you've lived in a vacuum for so long where you've given and you've given and you've given and you've not asked that you know what it feels like to be taken from by other people's needs. So you assume that you taking what you need is going to create a vacuum for them. But here's the secret. The rest of us aren't doing that, right? The rest of us, we're like meeting our own needs. We're going about our life and, and, when someone's over-sacrificing for us, it can feel a little invasive. It can feel like, whoa, 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 that's a lot. It doesn't feel like you taking that away is going to take from them. Instead, it will probably create a healthier dynamic between the two of you where you're taking care of your needs, they're taking care of their needs, and then whatever each of you are getting is just a bonus. If I give to you, you give to me, it's just extra stuff. Um, so it probably will feel healthier and cleaner for the healthy relationships in your life, then is it, you know, is there a chance that they're prioritizing their wants over your needs? You know, if you do get pushback, um, if getting your needs met is too much for someone, then they're asking for you to over-sacrifice while they're not willing to over-sacrifice. So that's like a little bit not right, right? You know, we can question that and be like, that isn't, like they're being selfish in that situation, not me. And then speak up soon and time appropriate, meaning don't wait until you feel resentful, right? If you wash the dishes every single day this week and then on Friday you're like, I'm the only one who washes the dishes, well, that's a big burden for that person to take on. You know, they didn't know that you were feeling resentful. They didn't know. But maybe on Monday you start to notice this doesn't feel really good to me or I need a nap. Maybe at that point you could say, hey, person, can you come do the dishes right now? Um, Or can you do the dishes later today? that would be a big help. Um, That way they're able to respond to something specific and time appropriate, and they're not having to carry the weight of all that's been done before. And that's going to make it a lot cleaner for you to ask for what you want and need. It's going to make it a little bit easier for that need to get met. And then at the end of the day, you just kind of have to wipe your hands of their response. If you are honest and you are kind, their response is their responsibility. You are 
know that it is the right thing for you to do to take care of yourself. And I can guarantee you that it is the way for you to have, attract, and maintain healthy relationships over time. There's a chance that there are a few people will fall away and that will be hard for you because you're so relational, but those will be the people who are benefiting from your over-sacrifice. Um, there's a little bit of a growth curve that's going to happen, but then you're going to pull in the right people and the right people who really get it, they're going to stay too. Um, but it was never your job to be this person. And in fact, it was never really about them either. It wasn't a loving act of giving that that was motivating you. It was the hope that they would like you and love you and, and stay by you. And what the work that you're having to do is less about like the guilt of being selfish and actually more about will they still want me when I don't show up like this. And most people, the right ones, they will. and that can hold that can give you a lot of peace and they've probably been waiting a really long time for you to take that step and finally you don't have to just take everything that you want at the expense of other people right that's you don't have to go that far you're probably just going to find some compromise you know but if you you know if you go to a football field and you've been running the length of the football field every single day this whole time wearing yourself out walking to the middle feels like cheating, right? Like, oh, this is really easy. This shouldn't be that easy. I'm supposed to be running the whole length of this field. But actually walking to the middle is all that you were ever expected to do in the first place. That's the only thing anyone else was doing is the only thing that you were supposed to do. But for some reason, you thought you were supposed to be running the whole length of the field. And so, you know, we're practice just walking to the middle finding that center place, finding the compromise, um, finding the place where everyone's needs can get met. All right. Thank you guys so much for sending your questions in. If you have Enneagram questions and want some support, you can drop them my way at 828-338-9127. Call in, leave a voicemail, or text it in if you would rather. Today's food for thought. Take the risk to ask for whatever you need and want. If someone says no, you will not lose anything. It's the same, right? And if someone says yes, you have a lot to gain. Thank you all for joining me. If you got anything out of this episode and want to give back, you can do that by just leaving a quick five-star rating and review in iTunes. As always, it's such a pleasure to create this content for you, and I'll see you tomorrow for the next episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.